How many people learned something about Colossians already this, this past 11 weeks? Three people. That took, oh, four people. I'm so glad. It's not a waste. Hallelujah. Shaka. <laughs> Anyways, Colossians chapter 1. Masters, sorry, chapter 4, verse 1. Master, treat your bond servants. The actual translation is slaves. Treat your slaves justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, let me pause here and just talk about this. This is very important. Many young people, you know, they not young people, many people who are not Christians, they had become very offended with the idea that Christianity had endorsed slavery. And if you, um, you know, if you're any older, you'll know that in the old days, even church leaders used this verse and many of the similar verses in the Bible to claim that, see, Paul the Apostle, he's endorsing slavery and he's telling the master to treat the slave well. He didn't tell the master to get rid of the slave. He told the master to treat the slave well. And therefore, slavery is A-OK, is from the Word of God. That, my friend, is a lie. Okay? In fact, not in my racism, never mind about slavery. Racism is from the devil. Amen. Can I hear an amen? amen. And uh, I know I'm making a political, political statement. I don't care, right? Slavery is from the devil, and racism is demonic influence. And how do I know that? When a person is truly saved, they'll know that it's wrong. When you're truly born again, you know, one of the most famous slave traders, his name was, I can't remember his name, but I know the song. We sing it all the time. He wrote the song Amazing Grace because he had come to know Christ and he renounced that practices. So slave trades and slavery is not of God. It cannot be of God. Racism cannot be of God. They have the devil. And in Jesus' name, if you feel like sometimes this racist thing just... You know, every race is racist, okay? Not just one race. Okay? Let's, just don't, let, let's not just, you know, just go after one race. Every race is racist. I'll tell you this, Asian, man, we're one of the most racist people on planet Earth, you know? You should listen to some of the conversation they have, you know? When, see, I say they now. I'm not part of them. <laughs> Shaka. But anyway, say, so it's what, what, is, what I'm trying to Paul is not here to make any... See, Paul, when he, write, when he wrote the Bible, when he preached the gospel, he was not to make any political statement about slavery, but to encourage those who had slaves to treat them well to live according to the Word of God. In fact, in 1 Timothy, if you can flip to it, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, Paul considered slave traders was as bad, were as bad as homosexuals, uh, people who practice uh, sexual, uh, have sexual immorality, and they were liars, cheaters, and deceivers. He classified slave traders as such. So it is impossible for him to endorse slavery. It is not a religion that endorses slavery. In fact, it's the opposite. It's just religious people had taken things out of context all the time and then, and, then, and then twisted it to suit the agenda. But Paul was not trying to make any political statement. He was, trying to, he was not trying to change the social condition of his time. He knew what he was called to do. He wanted only to preach the gospel knowing, watch this, that the power of God will change people like it changed the guy who wrote Amazing Grace. I still don't know his name. Somebody can call out his name and I'll... 
Don't, oh, thank you. Wow, so smart. That James sounds like James, right? See, that's what PhD would do for you. You have a PhD, you know everything. But anyway, so, um, <laughs> so anyways, you know, John Newton, you know, he knew the Lord. The gospel changed his life and therefore changed society, changed our practices, and therefore would change the political uh, discourse and political environment. But Paul knew that he was to preach the gospel, knowing the power of God would change people and would change society and therefore the political environment. I do encourage you as believers, believers, listen to me carefully. Don't get offended. Don't get all twisted, okay? Listen to me. I'm speaking in love. You need to know what your calling is. Your calling and my calling, we are to preach the gospel. Sure, we have a civic duty to, to get involved in the political process. Of course, you have to vote. You know, you have to, you have to get involved in the process to, to fulfill your civic duty. And, and we all do that. But at the end of the day, you need to know your calling is not politics. So don't talk politics. Now you say, you know, God called me to be in politics. Then you should join a party and become one of those policymakers, become one of those analysts or if not, run for the office. But don't have your conversation always on picking side. You know, as a pastor, I always have pressure to express my political opinion. I know I can never do that because my calling is to preach the gospel. I'm not going to endorse anyone. I'm just going to preach the gospel. I know that when the gospel change a person, they will make the right decision according to the Word of God. Can I hear an amen? Because the Holy Spirit is powerful. So know your call. Don't get involved, watch this, in someone else's battle. Politics usually are somebody else's battle, especially American politics. I know, you know, I love to watch American politics because it's very dramatic. It's like the best entertainment out there, you know. You know, just, just better than some of the TV. Some of the TV stuff is so boring these days. But, you know, politics is so exciting. It's so interesting, you know. And so, I, you know, I love American But, you know, I understand that sometimes we tend to pick side or pick the side of the individual who speaks into our secret desire who speak to our hearts, who do speak to our convictions. So we, we take side. But friends, I want to encourage you not to do that, especially when it comes to American politics. You need to know what your battle is. You know, Jehoshaphat, you know, he was involved in somebody else's battle. You remember? How many remember I preached a series called Jehoshaphat? Three, five people. That's good. That's progress on the first service. <laughs> There's some chairs here up there, fine. I shouldn't be doing that. But anyways, uh, so, um, uh, you know, Jehoshaphat, you remember when I spoke at Jehoshaphat in 1 Kings chapter 22, you remember that this Jehoshaphat, he was an amazing king, but he got himself involved in a battle he shouldn't. He got tangled up with this, uh, with this king called ah ah Ahab, and Ahab was an evil king, and so he decided to join Ahab and help him to go to war with Ahab. And he nearly got himself killed. Because they thought he was the king for Israel, and so they wanted to kill him. But, you know, thank God, God protected him. But anyways, when he came back from battle, God sent a prophet in Second Chronicle, you read. He sent a prophet called Jehu to rebuke him, to say, why are you involved in battles that do not belong to you? In fact, he is an unrighteous king. But anyways, the story is that Ahab died. You know, somebody shot an arrow and killed him. But you know, he wasn't the only king that got involved in battles that he shouldn't get involved in. And in fact, his great-grandson, Josiah, got involved in battles that he shouldn't be involved in, and it was a fatal decision. You know, his great-grandson was, the name of great-grandson was Josiah. Josiah, if you're familiar with the old 
Old Testament, he was the most righteous king in the history of the entire nation of Judah and Israel, even more righteous than King David. And the Bible says that he led the greatest revival in the history of Israel and that he was, he was instrumental in bringing Israel from backsliding to the entire nation to worship God, to serve God, and it was an amazing revival. But that destiny was cut short because he was stubborn to get involved in battles that he shouldn't be involved in. You remember the story? If you don't, you know, he uh, one time, you know, uh, he was about in his 30s and, and uh, King Nico or Pharaoh Nico decided to have a battle with the king of Syria or Syria. And um, so King Nico was charging towards Syria and Josiah felt like he needed to get involved. So he mustered up his army and he was going after the Pharaoh, which has nothing to do with him. And Nico said to him, hey dude, this is not your battle. I'm not fighting you. Just go home before you get self-killed. And I'm, he said, I'm just fighting with the other guy, your enemy, you know. Obviously, uh, Josiah didn't understand the concept that you're the enemy of your enemy is your friend, right? But anyway, so, so he was fighting with, you know, I'm fighting with this, this guy. But you know what? Josiah was so stubborn. He said, no, I'm just going to battle you. And he got killed. Cut short his destiny in his 30s. The history of Israel would have been so different because after that, Israel went downhill and eventually they all got exiled and the place was conquered and destroyed and pillared by the enemy and so forth. My point is this, is that some of us need to sometimes understand while we are passionate about certain political philosophy, know this, if you are a born-again believer, your calling is never political. Your calling is always just to preach the gospel. Don't get involved in arguments and debates that really would just make people just, just get all boiling in blood. And, you know, just preach the gospel. If you believe that what you believe and your conviction about politics is true and that it's from the Lord, preach the gospel because God will change them. You don't even have to say a word. Are you here this morning? We need to be careful, you know. You know, some of us uh, are getting stressed out with, with, with uh, you know, the politics in the U.S. because they all, in the, you know, they're so much in hyperbole and, and you know, it's just, just, just crazy. All sides are crazy. Oh, they're just so dramatic. That's what makes it so interesting, right? But anyways, you know, some of you are getting stressed out. I, I know of a brother, you know, he said, I couldn't sleep because, you know, he's this, that, and the other thing. I was like, yes, you're not even American. You can't vote there. Why are you getting stressed out? There's another brother sitting in my office a number of weeks ago, you know. He was huffing and puffing, getting all stressed out. He said this, this whole coronavirus thing is a conspiracy. And, and he was like, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. My Facebook is getting shut down, blah, blah, blah. So I sat back and asked him one simple question. Who are you fighting? <laughs> who, who are you fighting, brother? And he sat back, he, he didn't know he was, he, he was fighting. Know your battle. Your battle is to preach the gospel. 
Your battle is not carnal, but it's spiritual. It's on your knees. You know, we have a prayer meeting on Friday last week. I started, you know, we, I, I divide the prayer meeting for, the, for three weeks to be the first week is really to, to seek for revival for each individual who came. So I encourage the people, we pray, all of us, you know, we prayed, uh, assuming some of them, uh, most of us were spirit-filled. We prayed 45 minutes straight in tongues. That's the most awesome spiritual battle you can get yourself in. It's to pray in the spirit. And we'll talk more about that later. But know your battle. Know who it is you're fighting. Don't go to play battles that God never called you to. Number two, let's go to verse two. So here we're talking about different spiritual discipline last week. We started talking about it two weeks ago. Paul was talking about spiritual discipline. And by the way, spiritual discipline is not religious discipline, meaning you're not trying to please God. Whatever you do, you're not trying to please God because he's pleased, he loves you, he just loves you so much. But what you do is spiritual discipline. And here it says continue steadfastly in prayer. Now let me pause here. The definition of steadfast, I'm going to read to you, steadfastly means in a resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering manner. In other words, we are to pray in a manner that is resolute, is dutiful, and firm and unwavering. I want to encourage believers to get into a lifestyle or spiritual discipline of praying every single day. You're not doing it to please God. It's a discipline for your own spiritual well-being. It's like breathing. In fact, actually, it's like working out. You know, I work out. You know I work out, but I'm not trying to be buff or whatever. Actually, I did try, but it didn't work. But anyway, so <laughs> I try to work out to be healthy because as a pastor, I have visited hospitals. After hospitals, I see that many of the older people either, you know, they got an accident, they break their bone, whatever, and they cannot, could not fight their disease or their sickness or even recover well because we are so weak. And so I've come to the conclusion after done some research that if I want to be able to, to, to recover well, if there was an accident when I'm 85 or 95 or even 105, I want to have the strength to do it. If I want to be healthy and be able to fight disease, I need to be healthy in my diet, in my exercise. This is a discipline. Why do I do it? Am I trying to please God? No, I want to live longer. As a spiritual beings, we are always coming under attack. You say, well, I'm not coming under attack. Well, this is the best time for you to get ready because when the attack comes, it might be too late. Our people, they will only come to church when disasters strike. Then they wonder why God is not hearing them. Well, it's not God is not hearing them. It's just they don't have the spiritual stamina to become an overcomer. God has given them all the tools to build themselves up. You know, Jude 20, we read about it on Friday night. It said, pray in the Spirit. Build up your faith. If you have the consistency to pray in the Spirit every single day, I guarantee you, your spirit will be strong. It's a discipline. It's like going to work out. You know, some people like me, you, you know, when I don't go work out, I feel like a limb just fell off. It's unnatural. It ought to be like that for every believer is that if we don't pray that day, it's not like we're trying to please God. It's that we find that it is, it is not good for our spiritual health. You know, I know it's very difficult to pray in the spirit. I know I'm, you know, I sound like a broken record. You know, I've been, I know that when you pray in the Spirit, sometimes you get distracted. 
And so you get, you know, you get distracted and you, 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 you know, and then the voice of the devil starts talking to you. You're a fool. You're talking nonsense. It doesn't work. Nothing is happening. You know, I want to tell you this. I've been praying in tongues for 42 years. I have prayed in tongues longer than most of you have watched, not most of you, half of you have lived. And in this 42 years, till today, and I do it every day, as a pastor, there's still this voice telling me, shut up. You sound like a fool. It doesn't work. Don't do it. Yeah. That voice will be there, but you need to be an overcomer. So a number of years ago, you know, because I, I was quite inconsistent and that, you know, I heard the voices, you know, I was like, oh, maybe this tongue thing is just nonsense, whatever, right? Psychological, whatever. But I decided, okay, I'm going to experiment on this. I'm going to pray consistently in spirit for the number of hours. You know, some people can pray seven hours a day in spirit. <laughs> Shaka, good for them, right? But I can't. So I said to the Lord at the time, I'm going to start with this many minutes. I'm going to grow. But I'm going to do it for three months consistently every day, and I want to see if there was any difference. So you, you and I need to have that kind of mentality is that, you know, don't keep banging your head against the wall and hope for something different, uh, some, some different outcome will come about. You know, insanity is doing the same thing, expecting different results, they say, right? So don't go keep banging your head against the wall. If it doesn't work, you need to pull back and examine yourself a little bit. Okay, does this thing work? So I basically, because, you know, you go to university, they train you to be critical thinker, whatever. So anyways, so I was experimenting on it at the, as a young preacher, I said, God, I'm just going to pray in the Spirit for this long for the next three months. If it doesn't work, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm not going to do it. Well, friends, let me tell you this. As a witness to praying in tongues, I tell you, doors started to get open. Ideas started to come in. And when I pray for people, I feel like it's more effective. Then I see more results. And when I preach, there's greater impact. Those are tangible, measurable outcome that I could measure. And I can stand here to attest to you. Yes, the devil still tell me that I'm wasting my time every single time I sit up after I wake up from the bed to pray or before. I go to bed and I pray every morning when I pray in the spirit, the devil is to say, ha, 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 you are such a fool. Shut up. Don't talk. Do you have found yourself struggling in life? Friends, you can try medicine. Yes, that's good. You can try counseling. You can try people. You can depend on people. May I encourage you to try the Holy Spirit because it works all the time. If you have a problem this morning, learn how to pray in the spirit. Try for five minutes a day, but be consistent every single single day and try for three months, I guarantee you, your life will be changed and transformed. Can I hear an amen? Come on. You know, a lot of people think, 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 think praying in the Spirit is the good to have. Oh, it's nice. It's not the main thing. Is your life. Is your life. I can introduce you to laws and rules and thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that. It wouldn't do a thing for you. But if I teach you about spiritual discipline and you abide by those disciplines, you're not trying to please God. He's not going to be, you cannot add to God anything 
in whatever, giving, praying, reading the Bible, He is all glorious. There's nothing to be added to Him. You can add to Him anything by you praying in the Spirit. It's for you. You're not going to make Him feel better because you pray in the Spirit. It's for your survival. Man, I'll tell you, you know, I'm not trying to judge. God bless you. Don't throw stone at me or tomatoes. But you know, many Christians, they live their life the same, if not worse than the people outside the world. They're as sad, as struggling, as depressed as the outside world. And they call themselves Christians. We're supposed to be the light of the world. Hello. And you say, I tried, I didn't work. Well, you haven't tried consistently. Because the Word of God is always yes and amen. It's always true. And if it's not working for you, it, the chances because it has not been consistent in your life. Go ask a person, you know, I, 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 used, to, um, I used to tell people I work out when I was younger. But I was a um, flabby flab, you know, like... I look at some of my younger pictures, I couldn't believe my wife married me. It's like, who's this ugly guy? Why did she marry me? He's so out of shape. He's in his 20s. He's got this big stomach. You know, it's like, seriously. See, she didn't marry me for looks. I marry her for looks, and I'm just joking. No, she's pretty. But thank God that she married me for looks, because I have nothing to offer there until now. Shouldn't I? <laughs> but anyways, you know, I, I used to, t but I, I did work out. I, I actually work out, but I would go very consistently. So I'm, some week I'll go once a week, some week I'll go three times a week, some weeks I don't go at all. It was useless. I might as well just save my energy and go and enjoy a few more strips of bacons or whatever. It makes no difference. You want to be healthy physically, you need to be consistent in your diet and your exercise. Consistency. Start small. It's the same thing as your spiritual discipline. Steadfast, which means unwavering. Keep doing it consistently over and over every single day. You know, if you can't, just, just try five minutes and read three, three verses a day. Just do it. Just start something. Have some consistency. When you start winning battles there, may I tell you, you're going to have momentum. That's what you're trying to do is create momentum in your life, in your spiritual discipline. And the more momentum you have, the greater battles that you're going to overcome. Anyways, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful or being fully aware of what's going on and not be ignorant of the enemy's device. In what? In it. It means prayer. He's talking about prayer. In prayer with thanksgiving. Now, we always talk about thanksgiving is the best attitude when you come to pray because when you pray, don't complain. A lot of people, when they pray, they complain, they beg, they holler, whatever. It's useless. The way to open the door to heaven is thanksgiving, right? We all know that. But it says here, be watchful. Don't be ignorant. Don't pray, pray with, with no being uninformed. Pray being watchful. Watch and pray, right? The Bible says. So I, I, I often say this. When you pray for people, you know, I see most of the time people who are not trained properly, they close their eyes. You watch next time, okay? You go to any event or crusade, right? You just, just watch them and... Um, You go to any event and crusade, you watch them. Most people, when they pray, they just go like that. Charismatic especially. They go, Praise God. That's how they were taught. They're sincere. 
But the Bible says, watch and pray. What you ought to do is when you pray for people, you have your eyes wide open. Why? Because you want to see what God is doing. I'll give you an example. I, I said this to the people who were in the prayer team, and I used to teach that in the healing school. He said, when you pray for people, the person might come up to you and say, I have a shoulder pain. And you start laying hands on the shoulder, and, and, and his, his feet is twitching. Well, you know God is doing something there. So shut down the shoulder and pray for the feet. Well, he asked for shoulder. Well, don't do what he wants. Do what the Father is blessing and what the Father is doing. But if you have your eyes closed, you won't be able to see anything. You'll be like, Shandai away and nothing's going to happen. I hear this morning. So when you pray for people, have your eyes open. You know, something might be happening and, and God may show you something. And so you just move to where he's doing. And, and so you watch and pray. You're just not being, being unwatchful. That's what he's saying. Be watchful. That's, that's just one example. But in all your prayer, you and I need to be absolutely alert. When you pray, be alert because the Holy Spirit might want to say something to you. Be alert. I understand when you pray in the Spirit, you, you sometimes your mind just wanders off. And don't feel guilty about that. My mind wanders off all the time. I used to feel, feel guilty. I feel like I wasted my time. You know what the Scripture says? When you pray in the Spirit, your mind is unfruitful. So it's okay if it wanders off as long as your Spirit keeps praying. So don't feel like it's worthless. It didn't work for you. It worked. And I can guarantee you that. I have experienced it. So, you know, half the time, my mind just wanders off. You know, in the morning when you wake up, your mind is kind of dizzy and, you know, it's like you're not alert. So I, it's me all the time, I, when I, whenever I sit up from my bed, the only thing I could think of is just go back to that pillow. It's so soft. It's so nice. It was just like calling my name, right, every single time. Paul, come. <laughs> I welcome you in the room. Paul, come. And I look at my wife, she's like, yeah, come. <laughs> she's sleeping well. But I want to tell you this. My mind usually is very foggy in the morning. And so I might just go all over, but I just pray in the Spirit. Just pray in the Spirit. It doesn't matter because your Spirit is working. But anyways, so verse 3. Now, this is, this is my request to you, okay? At the same time, pray also for us. Paul is talking about himself and his company of workers that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. The first part is my, my same request is from you is that I want to ask you to pray for me that God will give me open doors. I don't just want to preach in this church. I, I want to preach anywhere things are moving. I like to see, I, I, just, I just want to ask you to pray for me in your private prayer. Is that, Pastor Lord, we pray that you will open door for Pastor Paul to preach everywhere, in hospital, in different places. I cherish the opportunity to preach. I cherish the opportunity to preach the gospel. I was just thinking about it last night, you know. If I have $100 million, because a million doesn't worth anything anymore, right? $100 million is the minimum. If I have, I'm just joking. If I have $100 million, which means I can do whatever I want, what would I like to do? I don't know whether it's the Holy Spirit talking to me or me talking to myself. And I said to myself, I like to preach. 
Then I heard the Holy Spirit said, then you don't even need $100 million. You're already doing that. Isn't that great? <laughs> Living the dream, baby. Hallelujah. Come on. <laughs> so I want to ask you to pray for me. And also those who are preaching in this church, ministering, and I know some of you are ministering in the parachurch organization, you know, and, and, and that, you know, pray for us who are ministering that there will be opportunity, plenty of it, to preach the gospel because that's our passion. That's the reason why I exist. That's the reason why I was, I was called to me in this place is preach the gospel. Now, not only that... That you would pray that I may make it clear. I know sometimes, you know, my English is not that great, you know. I, I'm not making things clear. And uh, 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 I know my human flaw. But, you know, would you pray for your pastor that he'll be able to articulate the word of truth, the word of God, that we can all understand clearly and be able to walk in it and be able to take advantage of the word of God and be victorious in it. But also pray that God will give all of us the ability to preach the gospel properly, especially to the unchurched. Let me explain to you what that means. Christians, we have a major problem in preaching to the unchurched because... We don't know how to talk like the world. We use our own lingo. You know, I may have used a few lingo. I apologize for that if you're not a Christian. But, you know, I may have used a few lingo. You know, the people in the world don't understand our lingos. They don't know what that said the Lord is. In fact, they might not even agree with you that this is the Word of God. In Toronto today, most people don't believe this is the Word of God. Why quote it? Now, you want to quote it, it's fine because there's power in the word itself. But when I say quote it, you don't have to say Colossians 3 verse, chapter 3 verse 1, you know, say this. No. I remember when I was younger, uh, in my early 20s, you know, in university and high school, I don't know, whatever. And I was part of a big church in the city. And, and we had this uh, cafe in downtown Toronto that we reached a lot. So what we do on Friday night is we, we have this cafe open up, especially in the wintertime. It's very important. We go around and, and just talk to homeless people, drunk, whatever, and uh, bring them, many of them who, who seem to be struggling in the cold weather, bring them into the cafe. They're all drunk, like they haven't had shower for years, right? And you bring them in, you feed them, you give them some coffee. I remember one time, you know, I, I, you know we, we brought a guy in, he's, he's got all his beard, you know, and uh, I think he said he was a lawyer, he became an alcoholic, and he ended up on the street. Anyways, so he had like, a beard, you know, and, and so we, we try, you know, we, we have him some food, and, and you know, I try to learn how to be a good Christian, you know, I'll sit there and just, just try to love somebody. I didn't know what that means, but, you know, try to sit there and just be empathetic or whatever. So he'd be eating his food, and he's drinking his coffee and his foot all over the beard, you know. And, and then he started talking to me. And when he talked to me, all the food on his beard flew over to my face. <laughs> I had to take two showers when I got home, you know. I was like, <laughs> but anyway, so we would go well on the street, right? And uh, we, were, we were just trying to uh, reach the law. So, so at the time, Parliament, now Parliament and Church Street. Some of you, old enough, you remember Parliament and Church Street is the red district in Toronto, right? And uh, uh, so, you know, all kinds of fant fant you know, crazy stuff going on. So me and my friend decided we're going to walk through that and to preach the gospel to them, you know, the prostitutes. So we came across a prostitute. She was probably around seven, you know, 18, 19. She was going to Humber College, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how much I knew we were asking a question. So we started to quote the scripture to her. 
trying to tell her, you know, judgment is coming. Those are the days when we, that's how we used to preach the gospel. You know, you, what you do is not good because judgment is coming to you. And, and, uh, and then we asked, you know, I said, you know, I, I, I try to be sympathetic. I, I said, I know it's very painful for you to do this. She said, no, I love this. What? What do you mean? And I tried to tell her the eternal judgment, you know. She said, I don't care. Like, you're going to be going to hell. Oh, I like it. So how do you, how do you, how do you <laughs> no response? Because <laughs> she didn't believe anything that we said about the Bible. Well, I didn't know any better, so I was quoting scriptures. After we did that unsuccessfully, I told my friend, ah, forget it. You know, so let's go. And so we walked down, and we took a turn on Parliament and went to Young Street. And then we came out on Young Street, and we saw a few buddies of us was arguing with an imam. And I saw this buddy of mine, you know, they were from the same church, and I saw him. He was in this heated this exchange, arguing with this. He was quoting the Bible. I was thinking to myself, he doesn't even believe the Bible is the Word of God. He believed Quran is the Word of God. Why are you even quoting it as if there's some authority over him? What am I saying? Depending on the circumstance you're in, we need to ask the wisdom of God to preach the gospel properly to the right people with the right language so that they can be clear to them and they can receive what we preach. I often hear brothers telling me he's so frustrated about his family or, or whatever. Uh, they don't listen. I quote the scripture. I tell them the Bible. I, he would say, I told them, and they don't. They're so ignorant of the Bible. I was thinking to myself, of course they are, and they wouldn't care either. But you know, we need to be able to preach the gospel clearly, which is how we ought to speak. Verse 5, we're coming to the conclusion of the concluding series. Walk in wisdom toward outsider. We have to be wise toward the outsider. You know, the Bible, Jesus said that the people in the world are actually smarter, wiser than the children of the kingdom. A lot of times, in the name of the Holy Spirit or the Word of God, we have rejected wisdom in how we carry ourselves, how we speak to people, how we deal with the people in the world. I want to encourage you to use some wisdom when it comes to dealing with people, especially those who are not part of the household of faith. And you say, what does that mean? Well, I ask that God will just enlighten you and, and, and just let you see what I mean. You know, a lot of times we Christians, we sound very ignorant. We, 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 we are not smart in dealing, especially when it comes to the, the worldly affair pertaining to our life, our finances, our relationship, our work. Some of us need to be smart when it comes to your job, your career, your finances, dealing with the neighbors. We need to ask God for wisdom because the wisdom of God is going to propel you very far. Next one is make the best use of time. Don't waste your time, or, but be efficient, efficient and diligent. I want to pause here and talk a little bit of that. You know, I love technology. You know, we use technology. You know, we have video ministry 
was it, 10 years ago before even people thought about video ministry. Because I love technology. This church, if you see the operation we have here, it's all technology-driven. And, and we use technology that Fortune 500 company uses, even our phone system. It's, just, it's crazy. It's awesome. Why? Because I love technology because it makes us efficient in what we do. We can do 10 times more with technology if we know how to employ it. Unfortunately, technology had been a time waster for the public at large. Most people allow technology now to rob their time. They look at the phone all the time. And no judgment. You know, if iPhone has this feature to tell you that how many minutes, how many percentage you, 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 you how many, how, how much less per, hour percentage that you have looked at the, 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 the phone. I wonder if it tells you that you have increased your, your FaceTime 50% this week or you have decreased your FaceTime 50%. I want to tell you this. Many people f- will say, you know, I'm too busy for this, too busy for that. I'll tell you this. If you throw away your phone, just get one of those flip phones. I know it's hard. It's impossible. Flip phone. We have a few people in the church that's flip phone. So cute. You know, if you have flip phone... I guarantee you, you'll find a lot more time than you need. A lot more time. You know why? Because this has become a bondage. I love social media. If you, if you, if you pay attention, we are actually ramping up our social media right now. You know, we got quite a few people working in the industry that are part of our, our, our church, you know, and, and, and they're helping us. You know, we got individuals that, you know, um, are working in, in, the, in, the, in the, the agency that, that work on that. And then we have a fellow that, you know, uh, work with celebrity to in, 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 in improve their uh, social media presence. So they're all helping us how we can, you know, up our game. Why? Because we want to preach the gospel. Social media is the way to get, get the gospel out. In the old days, it was TV, but it's too cost-ineffective. So, in other words, we want to be efficient. So, we use technology to help us to improve our footprint, improve our capability to reach the unchurched, the lost. And so, we do it using different techniques and so forth. But no, make no mistakes. Many people, many of us have allowed technology to just basically blow our time away. I want to encourage you to make changes in that life. And you'll find yourself having a lot of time to, uh, to serve the Lord, to be available to other people. And finally, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Not argumentative, not debating with people, you know, not getting involved in heated discussion. And uh, one final, final point, then we're going to close this Ephesians, uh, Colossians studies, is in verse 12. Always struggling, Paul is talking about one of his co-worker, uh, Epaphras, always struggling on your behalf in his prayer that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. And this is what I want to pray, and I want to ask you to pray also for others to the point of struggling, which means you're putting a lot of energy. This is an intercessor here, Epaphras. He's struggling on the behalf of the church in prayers. I wonder, I don't, I don't believe all of you are called, but there will be some of you here. You believe you're called to prayer ministry, intercession ministry. 
Intercession ministry is not just you know, part of the prayer line or, or just come and pray once a week or pray in the morning. Intercessor prayer is those people that know how to pray until the Holy Spirit will put such burden in their heart. They will groan and they will pray for the well-being of others and even to the ones that they don't know. And I pray that God will raise up intercessors in this church. Every move of God, every revival, we believe we're at the precipice of another massive move of God would require someone to be willing to wake up early, go to bed later, to say, here I am, Lord. Use me as a vessel to begin to intercede for your next move, for the church, for the people of God. Where are those who are willing to rise up early and go to bed late to intercede for the church, for humanity at large. I pray, God, I pray to God that this morning God would speak to some of you to become the intercessors before the Lord. Would you please stand this morning?